things, one of the ways that we find out what the main point is of a passage and what the things are that God's trying to communicate there. Well, I've been doing that for quite a long time myself, but here over the last couple of weeks, it's been really, really great. It's been refreshing to me because when we plan these sermons now, it's the same sermon outline in here as it is back there with our kids and their parents, grandparents who go back there with them. Same sermon outline, and the way that we do that is now Pastor J.D. and Pastor Stafford and I, we sit down in a room and we break apart the sentence structure and, and we see what rises to the top and we help each other see some things in the passage that maybe we didn't see from that passage previously. And together we come up with a sermon outline and then whoever is preaching back there with the kids has illustrations that are aimed at the kids and here illustrations that would be aimed more teens and adults. And so that's what we're doing. So just when we look at this scripture passage today, the three of us have broken this down and we've kind of come up with and looked at what the Lord's saying in this passage. As Stafford outlined for you there with the introduction to this message, we're really looking at a prayer that Paul is praying for the church in Colossae. Now, keep in mind, Paul has not been to the church in Colossae. He has never met the Colossians. He has never traveled through Colossae. On his missionary journeys, he's not had a stop there. What's happened is Epaphras, one of his friends, one of those fellow servants in the Lord, has gone to Colossae. He shared the gospel. Believers start believing in Jesus' name. And Paul, hearing about that, began to pray for these people that he's never even met. Sometimes we struggle with praying for people that we know. Paul has never even met these people. And yet there are specific things that he's praying for them, things that he is asking the Lord for. Now, as Stafford mentioned in this passage, verses 9 through 12, it is primarily a description of praying for someone who is believers. Paul is praying for the believers in the church in Colossae. It's a description of how to pray for believers. There are ways that we pray for unbelievers, but let me just say for you up front, when we're praying for unbelievers, what is the one thing that the Lord desires above all else to be offered as a prayer for somebody who doesn't yet believe in Jesus Christ? Salvation. That ought to be at the very top of the list. That ought to be the thing that we're praying for. If we've got 10 things to pray for, the first 10 or the first nine ought to be salvation, 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 and we'll pray that their marriage doesn't fall apart. Because if that person comes to faith in Christ, the likelihood of their marriage remaining together is far greater. If we're praying for 10 things, it ought to be the first nine are salvation, 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 and that they would stop doing drugs or stop drinking. Because if they come to faith in Christ, the likelihood is that they will change from whatever that destructive behavior, that sin is in their life. And so that's really the goal and the aim of praying for unbelievers. We ought to be praying that they become believers, knowing that the Lord has the power to transform a life. But when we're praying for believers, oftentimes we kind of get stumped a little bit and we pray some of the same prayers over and over again and they sound kind of similar. Hey, Lord, would you please... Uh, would you please bless them in their job today? Would you please keep them healthy today? Would you please help them to have a good day? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what Paul is praying here for believers, there is much more depth to it. And we want to show you these six things out of this passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul is praying for the church in Colossae, but by extension, the Holy Spirit is telling us that we ought to be praying for each other. If you want to know how to pray for someone close to you, here are some things that you ought to be praying. And in this passage, it is kind of a progression. 
here's something and you build on this thing and you build on this thing and you build on this thing leading to this point. Stafford read the passage just a moment ago, so I'm not going to read it again, but I'm going to refer back to it. Here's the first thing that we ought to be praying for those who have come to faith in Christ, for those who have come to faith in Christ, for those who have made a decision to follow Christ. The very first thing that we ought to be praying for someone who is a believer is that they know God's will, that they know God's will. In verse 9, the Apostle Paul says this, the Holy Spirit speaking through him, for this reason... Since the day we heard that you're a believer, we do not cease to pray for you, and we ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may know God's will. Now, again, this is why I say this passage is related to believers more than unbelievers, because what is God's will for an unbeliever? Well, the very first thing that God desires for an unbeliever is they become a believer, That will always be the first part in God's design. But what about once a person comes to faith in Christ? Where do we begin? Where should this discussion start? Well, it ought to start here. We want to pray for each other that you may know God's will. That you might know what it is God desires from you. Now, this actually has two aspects to it. Knowing God's will actually has two aspects to it. The first aspect is this. There is God's general will as it applies to all people. For example, that list of 10 commandments that the Lord gave to Moses to hand out to the nation of Israel, that is a description of God's general will. God isn't saying, I would like for Moses and Joshua and Aaron not to lie The rest of you can lie as much as you want. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, this is what I expect from anybody, everybody, every person. Be truthful in all you say and do. Have no other gods in front of me. I should be absolutely first. Don't make any graven image. Remember my day when we gather together. You remember me. You worship me in that day. Keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You know, those 10 commandments, they are God's general will. We ought to be praying that people come to know God's general will, that people understand more, that believers, as they grow in their faith, they would understand more about what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We ought to be praying that they would discover God's will in a general sense. We ought to be praying that their marriages thrive. We ought to be praying that they learn how to give sacrificially, how they support the ministry of a church and the work of God all around the world. We ought to be praying for those things that are for every believer. But we also ought to be praying for God's specific will for those people as well. If you've got a family member that you're praying for, we want to pray that they would discover God's general will, certain things that they ought to be doing in their life, but we also want to be praying for God's specific will. Now, let me say, as I stated at the beginning, this is a progression. If we start praying for God's specific will in a person's life, if you're praying for God's specific will in your life, but you're ignoring God's general will, the likelihood of God communicating something specific to you is very low. 
If you're saying, God, I want to know where I should be. I want to know what my career path should be. I want to know whether I should marry this person or not. I want to know whether um, my family should be in this church, that church, this community, that place. If you're praying for something in God's specific will, but you are intentionally ignoring something in God's general will, the likelihood of God communicating his specific will to you is pretty low. Because if God's already said, thou shalt not lie, and I'm practicing, I have a practice of, of saying things that are not true. Or if, if God is telling me not to take his name in vain, but I consistently use the name of the Lord in vain, if the Lord is telling me not to have any other thing before him, but I put my job in front of him, I put my family in front of him, I put my health in front of him, why would he tell me, why would he say to you, why would he say to me, hey, I want you to go move here, I want you to take this job, I want you to marry that woman, why is he going to tell me his specific will if I'm already ignoring his general will? So what do we pray for first for a person who's a believer in Jesus Christ? We ought to be praying that they would discover, they would know God's will. Here's a great prayer to pray for your children. Now, maybe your children are some smaller ones like that who've gone to the back or your grandkids the same way. Maybe your children are, you know, grown. Regardless, if they're a believer in Christ, here's a great place to begin. God, would you just show them more of your will? Show them more of your design for them. Secondly, if we're going to pray for other believers, we need to pray not only for God's will, his general will and his specific will, but we need to pray that they would walk worthy of the Lord. Verse 10 says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now, what does it mean to walk worthy of the Lord? What does it mean to walk worthy of the Lord? What's Paul referring to? Is he talking about our salvation? That you walk worthy, that you, you walk in such a way that you earn your salvation. You walk in such a way that you become saved, that you know that you are saved, that you walk worthy of the Lord. Well, no, because if that were the case, no person could ever be saved because there's no person who's ever lived who has walked worthy of receiving their salvation. Even though there is this general concept out there among some who have yet to believe, who think that if I have enough good things on this side, it'll outweigh all the bad things on this side. That's not the way that God describes this relationship. He says it's the sin, not just sins, it's the sin. All it takes is one to separate me and to stain me. If I become a sinner, if I break the law in one point, I've broken the whole law. So if I lie, I become a murderer to walk worthy of the Lord. It's not saying walk worthy so that you earn your salvation. It's also not saying walking worthy of the Lord doesn't mean that it's related to forgiveness. Well, if I, if I walk worthy enough, then God will forgive me. If I just start living my life better, God will forgive me. If, if I start doing these things right, then God will forgive me. Well, no, I could never walk worthy enough of the forgiveness of God because scripture says the wages, the cost of sin is death. We can't walk worthy of something that I'm not worthy of and will never be worthy of before Christ. 
See, Paul is saying this to people who have already received salvation, to people who have already experienced the grace of God, to people who have already committed to Christ. And he's saying, now that you have committed to Christ, now that you have committed to the Lord, I'm praying that you would walk worthy of the Lord. I'm praying that this grace that you have received, which you did not earn, you did not deserve, but God gave you, he granted to you, I'm praying that now, because you have the power of God in you, because you have the grace of God in you, now I'm praying that through that might, through that power, through that presence of the spirit in life, in your life, now you would begin to walk in such a way that it points people to this God who gave that to you. To know God's will leads to walking worthy of the Lord. How can I walk worthy of the Lord if I'm not even sure what his will is? And so this is part of a progression. We pray that our believers, our friends, our family would know God's will. And we pray that from that, they would start to walk worthy of the Lord. And from that, that they would increase in knowing God personally. Back in verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him and being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, that you increase in knowing God personally. Now, can we just agree here that there's a huge difference between knowing what somebody desires of you, knowing their will for you, and knowing that person personally. There's a difference, right? Not sure? Okay. Um, if you're going to buy a new car, and you walk on that car lot, and Bob, I don't know, is there anybody who's named Bob who's a car salesman here? Okay. All right. Uh, and Bob walks up to you and says, hey, how are you? I'm here to help you today. What do you think Bob's will is for you as you walked onto the car lot today? Yeah, he wants you to buy a car. Do you know Bob? No, well, maybe you did. Maybe that's why you went to that particular car lot because you knew Bob, but ultimately his desire is that you buy a car. But just because you know Bob's desire doesn't mean that you know Bob. Let me use another example. Uh, I don't know if Officer Lieber is in here today, but Police Officer Lieber, um, if you were driving down the road and Police Officer Lieber was following you in his patrol car, what do you think Police Officer Lieber's desire for you is? His desire is that you stop at the stoplight, that you come to a full stop at the stop sign, that you obey the speed limit. There are certain things that he desires of you. It's his will. He desires that of you. Now, does that mean that you know Officer Lieber personally just because you are following his will? No, not necessarily. Here is Miss Edwards. She teaches fourth, fifth, and sixth grade along with a couple of others who accompany her is on, on her teaching team here at the academy. Miss Edwards has some things she desires from her students, some expectations, and they know her will. Sign your paper at the top or I take 10 points off. Stop talking, don't chew gum, sit down, follow the dress code. You know, it's just certain expectations she has. They know her will. Does that mean that they know that her favorite color 
is red, kind of purple together? Do they know that she really likes Japanese food? Do they know that by singling her out in front of people like this, that they better, better do something special for her later? Yeah, There's a difference in knowing someone's will for you and knowing that person. I can know what somebody desires from me, but that doesn't mean that I know them. Why is Paul praying this for the believers in Colossae? He's saying, I'm praying that you would know God's will because as I start to do some of the things that God has for me and as I start to walk worthy of the Lord, I begin to grow in my knowledge, not just of God's will, but of God. If I'm not walking in God's will, my knowledge of God personally is going to be stunted. So what do we pray for other believers? We pray that they would know God's will. We pray that they would walk worthy of the Lord. We pray that they would increase in knowing God personally. There's this progression that's taking place. What do we pray for other believers? We pray that they would be strengthened with the Lord's power. Verse 11 says, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power. What should we be praying for those believers around us? Whether it's our children, our spouse, family members, friends, those within our church, those outside of our church, we ought to be praying that they be strengthened with the Lord's power. There's a guy named Zadrunus Savicus. You ever heard of Zadrunus Savicus? Okay. Well, that shows that you don't watch ESPN at 3 o'clock in the morning because that's when they have the world's strongest man competitions rerunning all throughout the year. Zadrinus Savickas is actually uh, one of the people. He's a Lithuanian. Um, he has won the world's strongest man competition. He won it for four years straight. He won the world's strongest man competition for four years running. He didn't compete in 2019 because he was injured, but he was the prohibitive favorite to be the world's strongest man once again. And the world's strongest man competition is made up of events where they compare what people can do as mighty acts of strength compared to other people. And, you know, an event might be where you, you lift a, a circus-type barbell over your head and how many times you can do that as fast as you can or lift a, a whole log above your head. That was one of them, 370 pounds that you lift it and you lift it over your head and how many times you can do that in a certain time period. They have a thing called the Atlas Stones, these big round rocks that have no hold, uh, grab holds on them or places for you to grab and you pick up this big rock and you have to lift it up high enough to put it on a pedestal that is about shoulder height, 460 pound ball that you gotta pick up and put on a pedestal. And Zadrunas Savickas won this competition for four years straight. He was the world's strongest man four years running. Now, I wonder if God just happened to glance down, what he might think of the world's strongest man competition. You can lift 460 pound ball, good for you. 
that's so special. You're doing really good. Maybe one day you'll be able to lift a trillion ton planet like I can. Maybe you can speak and the stars will be painted across the sky like I can. And yet often we approach aspects of life as if I can handle anything and everything. As if I, in my own power, by my own plan, by my own will, with my own design, can handle whatever comes. But if you really want to do your loved one who believes in the Lord a service, here's what you ought to be praying. Not that they would be be handling things in their power and in their might, but that they might have the power of Almighty God. That's exactly what Paul says to the church in Colossae. I'm praying that you would be strengthened with all power. Not human power, because you can only lift a rock with that. But with God's power, who spoke all of the universe into existence, I'm praying you'd be filled with that power. My friend, what might happen in the church today if you started praying for me and I started praying for you and the Lord started responding to this prayer? I pray that today she would have the power of God filling her. I pray today that he would have the power of God to face whatever comes. Do you think it might make a difference within what the church does as its mission and goal if we are filled with the power of God instead of the power of Rob? What should we be praying for each other? We should be praying that we know God's will. We should be praying that we walk worthy of the Lord. We should be praying that we increase in knowing God personally. We should be praying that we be strengthened with the Lord's power. And as I'm strengthened with the Lord's power, we should be praying for all patience and long-suffering with joy, for all patience and endurance with joy. Now, let me just say, This is one of the most dangerous prayers that I think you can pray for another person. For them to have patience and endurance with joy. But see, this is why I say that it's a progression. This is why this passage is a progression because first of all, we gotta know God's will and then we've gotta begin to walk worthy of the Lord. We've gotta start obeying. And as we start obeying, we start to know God more. We increase in knowing him personally and then we're strengthened with the Lord's power. And as I'm strengthened with the Lord's power, not mine because I'm walking in obedience and I'm starting to follow the Lord and I'm starting to know him more and I'm starting to trust him more and I'm starting to have his power in me, then... I can have the patience and endurance to face whatever comes with joy. This is a dangerous prayer to pray. This is a dangerous prayer to pray for your spouse. This is a dangerous prayer to pray for your children, to pray for patience, to pray for long-suffering or endurance, to pray for the joy of the Lord in the midst of it. Why? Well, here's what it says over in James chapter 1. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that these are the things that produce patience. The testing of your faith produces 
patience and endurance. Let patience have its perfect work that you work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We should be praying that our loved ones have the patience, the long suffering, the endurance to go through whatever those things are in life that the Lord brings our way. But pastor, I, I don't want to pray for harm to come to my family. I don't, I don't want to pray that you know we have patience and then some illness come. I don't I don't want to pray that we would have endurance and and my husband, my wife lose her job. I mean, by praying that, am, am I inviting some trials to come? Well, aren't they going to come anyway? Don't people who are unbelievers end up with cancer too? Don't people who are unbelievers end up losing their jobs as well? Unbelievers end up with their marriages or their homes falling apart just like sometimes believers do. But praying that we would have the strength of God within us when those trials come so that we might have the patience of God and the endurance of God and even the joy of God in the midst of that is different. If I, as your pastor, ever lead you to think that now that you have become a believer, you won't face a trial, you won't face some struggle, you won't face these things, you know, you know I have strayed from God's word. The idea that just because I have enough faith means that I'm spared some possible fiery trial means that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had zero faith. It means that Daniel had no faith because he was thrown into the lion's den because they were thrown into the fire. It actually might even imply that the disciples had zero faith, that Jesus had zero faith because he died on a cross. Because if Jesus had enough faith, then he could have just called, he should have just called 10,000 angels and delivered him from the cross and the penalty associated with it. No, my friend, as a believer, you will face some trials. And I may pray that the Lord deliver you from that, but alongside that prayer, I'm also gonna pray that, Lord, if you don't deliver him, if you don't deliver her, if they're going to walk through this trial, if they're going to endure this testing of their faith, if this is going to happen, I'm gonna pray above all else that you would give them patience and you'd give them endurance, you'd give them long-suffering, and that in the midst of that, they'd still be able to smile with the smile of God on their face, that they'd be able to have the joy Because all of these things lead us back to this. For this reason also, since you became a believer in Christ, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in your understanding of who God is 
strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. And that you have all patience and long suffering with joy so that you learn to give thanks to the Father because he has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Because you see, ultimately, he's already secured my future. Ultimately, he's already settled my destination. Ultimately, he's already solved all of my problems and healed all of my diseases. Maybe not in my timing, but in his. And I pray that you might thank the Father that he has already solved each of these things for you. Not sure what to pray for your loved one? Maybe this is a good place to begin. God, show them your will. As they start to discern your will, God, help them to walk worthy of you. Start obeying. Help them to know you more. Help them to be strengthened with your power. Lord, I pray for my child. I pray for my spouse. I pray for my friend. Help them to be patient and have endurance in the midst of this trial and that they would be able to still know your joy. And Lord, above all, I pray that they would get to this place where they're able to understand you've already solved all of these. You've solved them through the cross of Jesus Christ. And that you have sealed and secured my eternity, their eternity, forever. That they might thank the Father for that. Here's what I'd like to do today as part of our invitation time. Today, we actually are going to have some music during our invitation like we didn't have last week. Julia's going to come up to the piano, but it's just going to be Julia. We're not going to have a praise team singing. We're not going to have the band playing. We're not going to have you stand and sing a response. In fact, while Julia's playing softly, I'm just going to ask you in this moment to respond to God's invitation this way. Here's what I'd like for you to do as a response to the invitation to this message today. You don't have to put your head down, but you can. You don't have to close your eyes, but you can. But in this moment right here, right now, I think that most all of us know some people who really could use our prayers. Whether it's somebody close in our family, our kids, spouse, parents, a friend, co-worker. But I don't know what to pray. Paul never knew these people, and yet he prayed all of these things for them. You don't have to know every detail about their life in order to pray for these things. Now, if you're not even sure that they're saved, start there. Lord, I don't even know if they know you. I don't know if they've committed their life to you, but I'm going to pray first and foremost that if they don't know you, that they would come to know you personally as Savior and Lord. And as part of our invitation today, here's what I'm going to invite you to do and how I'm going to invite you to respond. Let's take these few moments and let's do just what God's word says. Let's pray. So for the invitation today, would you respond right where you're seated 
You don't have to get up. We don't need every head bowed and every eye closed because you might want to look and see a reminder of some of the things you could be praying. But today, would you respond to the call of the Lord from his word? And let's pray.